And let's open them to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Lord willing, we will get through this chapter. Um, But 2 Samuel chapter 6, we want to pick up where we left off last week. Here we're looking at marital conflict in the the marriage of David. I am so glad uh, there's no conflict in marriages anymore, right? I am just so glad that's over with. Uh, But, but, you know, nevertheless, we'll look to see if there's anything that we can get uh, in this exchange between David and McCall. So if you will, stand with me out of reverence to God's Word. It's found on page 279 of your pew Bibles. Again, as we always say, if you do not have a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Uh, or we can get you a Bible if you, if you would like to have a different Bible. But the main thing is to have a copy of God's Word as we go through it verse by verse. Starting in verse 20. The writer of 2 Samuel writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, covering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said, Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all of his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by my female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And I call the daughter of Saul had no child to the day of her death. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask as always you would open our, our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears, our mouth, our hands and our feet, that we would be transformed by the power of the gospel. Lord, there's a lot of brokenness in the world. And we ask that by your gospel you would bring transformation. So let this be a time of worship a time of fellowship, a time of transformation. May I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Many of you all know that uh, every once in a while, uh, I, I enjoy refereeing soccer. And the joke I always make is, I, I don't feel like in ministry I get criticized enough. And so I, I go and, and, and do that. But a few weeks ago, I, I went to uh, teach a little uh, clinic to, to young referees who, who were getting in, into it and, and all that, that sort of stuff. And, and so I sort of gave them four or five main things you need to know as you start refereeing. And, and one of them is very, very important. right? And, and I think, I think this will bless you. And, and one of those rules is under no circumstance whatsoever should you ever talk to listen to or address any parents or spectators at a soccer game. In fact, I would recommend that as a parent yourself, you, you, you should follow that, right? Especially in Kentucky where, where parents in Kentucky think the rules of basketball apply equally to the rules of soccer. It doesn't because, get this, they're different sports, right? But because basketball is king in Kentucky, uh, we just think, well, if that's how it works in basketball's way, it must work everywhere else. So in basketball, if you were to breathe on someone, that's a technical foul and, and free throws and possession, all that. That's not the case in soccer. You can actually push each other and, and be aggressive with each other. And moms, do not panic. Little Johnny will be fine. I, I, I need to move on. I'm getting, getting too caught up on some of this. And one of the reasons I, I like to say don't pay attention to, to parents is, for one, they don't know what they're talking about. They're clueless. They're just genuinely clueless. And also because there's, no, there's nothing good that comes out of that as a referee. Every referee is the enemy of everyone that comes to that game. Players, coaches, parents, everyone. 
Let me give you an example of this. Uh, I was uh, assistant referee at a game. I was the guy with the flag. Just minding my own business, just trying to do the best I can do. And what I hear is, hey, ref, you're not worth a dime. I just stay right there. Don't say nothing. Don't address them. In fact, just pretend like it never happened. I don't know why they're saying this. Maybe this person's angry. Maybe, maybe their child got their feelings hurt and they don't know what to do. They're going to take it out on me. I don't know what it is. I'm just going to ignore them. A minute or two later, hey, ref, you're not worth a dime. Again, I'm just going to ignore them. I'm going to be a good, good, good boy. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to stop the game. I'm not going to do any of that. But as the half went on, I started to replay that in your head, as we all do whenever we, we face criticism. And I started to think, could it be I misheard this gentleman? Hey, ref, you're not worth a dime. I said, I'm sorry, sir. Can you tell me exactly what it is that you, you are trying to share to me? He said, yeah, ref, do you have the time? Said, How much time is left in the half? Like, oh, you won't believe what I thought you said. I thought you said something completely different. He said, well, that too. But I really need to know when are we going to get to go home because I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. You know, one of the things I've found in conflict is that when the root isn't dealt with, when the source of the conflict isn't dealt with, what you'll find is, is the two people in conflict will talk past each other with their own agendas, with their own end game, with their own goals, and as a result, nothing gets accomplished. You remember what we saw last week uh, when we looked at verse 16? We looked at the root of, of, of this argument. Here we're looking at the real meat of it. But the root of it is in verse 16. She disdains her husband. There at the root was hatred. Everything that David was going to do from here on out, she was going to disapprove of. His success, she gets, she, 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 he didn't do it right. His failures is a see, I told you so. And the root is her disdain of her husband, her hatred of her husband. And that is why when that is not addressed in conflict, nothing gets accomplished. You can read to the end of the story and what you'll find is, well, they're in worse shape than they were before. How many of us oftentimes when it comes to conflict, we think if I can just tell them what's on my mind, if I can just walk away from the situation, if I can do this or that, and we can just have it out, then all of our problems be resolved. Has that ever, ever happened in your life? Is that happening in our public lives? Not at all. So they, 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 they ignore the roots. And as a result, starting in verse 20, we, we come, first of all, to the fruit of the conflict. Remember that David is returning home from a great triumph, right? He's gone down, got the tabernacle, and, and he's brought it back. And along the way is a parade. By the way, I got stuck behind a parade in, in Owen County. Let me tell you, I am glad I come from a small town because the parades are not that long, okay? I'm, I almost missed out on hometown pizza because of this parade, right? And like every little wagon that went by, I thought, hometown's calling me and I'm stuck, right? That's not in my notes. That's just a free little detail. But David is involved in this community parade. Everyone is excited. Everyone loves the king. Everyone thinks, man, man, things are going great in Israel. And then what happens? David gets in his trip because we know he's from the country, so he has a trip. He, he's, he's pulling up the driveway. What does he see? His wife is ready to greet him at the door. He says, oh, no. The height of work is now ruined by the low of home. 
I want us to notice a few things about McCall, and then later we'll look at a few things about David. Let's first of all highlight her anger here. Before he can enter his own house, he is greeted. Is that a nice enough way of putting that? He is greeted at the door by his wife who has something to say. Notice the text says there in verse 20, David returned to bless his household. I, I, bet, he, I bet he stopped at pizza. And not the cheap pizza, the nice pizza, right? He's going to splurge a little bit. He's going to let the kids, you know, eat on the new couch. And they're going to watch whatever they want to do, right? Man, today is a good day, right? Today is an awesome day. She's going to come home and say, kids, you see it on TV. Man, things are going great. Isn't God good? And then as he grabs that pizza, he says, oh, oh, no. Oh, no, I had every intention to bless. Now I realize she has every intention to fight. No doubt he is tired. He's exhausted, and he is spiritually, not to mention emotionally, spent after a day like this. And one can imagine that David comes home, and he just wants to, he wants to do all the talking, right? He wants to share. You won't believe what happened today. But let me tell you what it was really like. And, and man, I, he just wants to share this high moment with his wife and kids. But instead, he's greeted at the door with a snarl. Can I have just a little uh, footnote of application here? Because I do think it is significant. That this doesn't work for men. Ladies, can I give you some, some simple advice? When your husband comes home, give him 30 minutes. 30 minutes. And whatever he does for that 30 minutes is whatever he wants to do for 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Maybe he wants to get caught up on all the highlights of sports. That's fine to give him 30 minutes. Maybe he wants to get the grill ready, right? And he's doing things that make no sense. But man, he's getting the grill ready. Give him 30 minutes. Maybe he wants to sit in his favorite chair, turn around, and stare at the blank wall. You know, that blank wall that you wish that wasn't blank, but he really needs that blank wall? Whatever it is, give him 30 minutes. And then, and then... Continue on with whatever it is that, that you had planned. No, no to-do lists. No, you won't believe what Johnny did at school. No, none of that. Just 30 minutes. It's also a little secret about men. We can carry the burdens of life better than we can carry the burdens of marriage. A demanding boss is manageable. But a wife who can be a ticking time bomb is not. Solomon, the son of David, warns us of this in, in two passages that every man has memorized, but he will never share with his wife, right? Proverbs 21, 9, it is better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. In 27, he says a continual dripping of rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. But of course, this isn't all that Proverbs has to say about wives, Right? Contrast this, which I think we're getting with McCall here, with, with what Proverbs says about a godly wife. Proverbs 18, says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Or in chapter 19, he says, House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Chapter 31, says, An excellent wife, who can find one? She is far more precious than jewels. Ladies, can I, I just encourage you here? I am unaware, maybe there is one, but I am unaware of a verse that, has, that says anything like this about husbands. That, they're, they're, that went over better than I anticipated. Uh, they, because the guys are like, 
Yeah, that's what I've been saying, right? <laughs> I mean, hello, lady, is what I've been saying, right? The Bible is very clear that a, a godly wife is a gift from God himself that is worth far more than a great career, a, a, a full bank account. The best gift a man can get is a, is a godly, godly wife. never says anything like this about husbands. certainly says it about wives. And so, so we get this, that, that men are different than women. And, 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 and he can handle all that at work, all that at play, all that drama and stress everywhere else. But when it comes home, it's, it's very different. Let, let, me, let me see if I can illustrate it for you. I'm still in this front from a book my wife and I read. We were dating because we loved the title, but also it, it was helpful. And the one reason is because men are, men are like waffles. Men are like waffles. And see... I know you guys are thinking, now I'm hungry, right? You can go eat the Waffle House. Well, you know, we're here till noon now, so you're even hungrier than what you were the previous weeks, right? Um, so men are like waffles. And what we mean by that, and what, what the original authors meant by that, is that the way a man's minds work is, is the squares of, of a waffle, right? A man will be in work mode. And you know, what is he, you know what he doesn't want to do when he's in work mode? Anything that isn't work mode, right? I don't want to have to deal with the kids when I'm at work. Same thing, too, when he's at home mode. You know what he doesn't want to do? Anything that isn't related to home. He doesn't want the boss texting him all hours of night. Why? It's, it's, it's dinner time for the family. So, too, when he's, when he's out with the boys and, and he's out doing whatever it is you do with the boys, right? Well, what he doesn't want to have to do is, is worry about these other things. This is why, ask your husband this, ladies, the, the, the drive from work to home is an important time in a man's mind because he's transitioning from one waffle square to another. Right? That is very important. This is why the 30-minute rule is so, so important, right? You got to get the transition. Because if you meet him at the door like McCall, you know what? He's not in, he's not in home mode yet. And what's going to come out is work stuff. And a man cannot address his wife and kids the way he would uh, the guys at work or certainly his, his boss, right? He'll probably get away a lot more when, when he says things to his boss than things he says to his wife, right? And so, so, so men, men are like... like like waffles in that sense. Women, you're, you're very different. You're like spaghetti. Let me just pause about this picture here. I got the meatballest picture of spaghetti I can find because my wife and kids don't like me and their spaghetti. They're communists. And, and so I, I like, no, you know, if I'm going to get a picture of spaghetti, it's going to have some meatballs in it. It's got some meat in it because I'm a man. That's my waffle right now. So if you don't go to Waffle House, you can always go to Fazoli's now that you're starving. And what we get here is, is, is unlike a, a, a waffle where everything is, is lined out and, and you cute little squares, is spaghetti, everything is intermixed. So ladies, I'm willing to bet for, for many of you, when you're at work, you're, you're thinking about the things you need to do at home. And when you're at home, you're thinking about all the things you, you need to do at work. It's because you're spaghetti. You ever try to have a conversation, men and women? You see this all the time. Right? My wife are like, why are we talking about that? Like, because I'm done with that square of waffle. I don't want to go back to that waffle square. I'm done talking about that waffle square. I've moved on to the next waffle square. I had three waffle squares. When I'm done with it, I'm done talking, right? Because I'm in a different, different square. It's in the watch Netflix and go to bed square, right? Ladies, not the way you work. It's not the way you work. You ever tried to, men, this might be dangerous, but you, you can learn. You ever try to be a fly on the wall of, of a group of women talking? You cannot and will not keep up. And the reason is because the more like spaghetti. This meatball over here, right? Unless you're a communist, or, or, or you know, this, this side of the plate, you're just going in and out. And so, so McCall doesn't understand that. She doesn't understand that at all. 
You see, that secret about marriage and family is that for most of us, the disapproval of spouse weighs heavier than a disapproval of the entire world. A thousand people can praise you, especially men, but if the people you love the most disapprove, it is devastating. Here, David, his approval ratings are in the 90s, but it's at zero at home. And that one person's disapproval weighs far more than anything CNN is putting on right now. So you see her anger. Let's look at her disrespect. Notice how she addresses her, her husband. We have got to move. Uh, we may not even get to the second point. That's okay. Her disrespect there. Notice how, how she, she addresses him. There in verse 20. How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, that is the lowest servants in, in the household of David, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Now, the first thing you need to notice there is, is the sentence doesn't start with, honey, you come in, take off your shoes, do your thing. We really need to talk. She didn't say, babe, we... You know, I, I've, I've, got, I've got my parents watching the kids. We, we really need to work this out. It's not honey bunches of oats. We, we really need to figure out none of that. What does she start with? She, she's got her arms crossed. Her lips are puckered. One foot is pointing north. The other one's pointing west. And she says, my, my, look at the king. Thinks he's the greatest thing ever. Boy, what a fool he is, right? He has a name, right? It's honey, it's babe, it's prince, it's king, it's, it's my king, it's dude, it's something. It can't be that guy. The, my, how the king of Israel has shown himself today. How she had, speaks to him about being vulgar and, and, and bringing shame upon the family to the lowest of the lows in, in the household and administration of David. She describes him as, as an exhibitionist that's gone mad. Everything, remember, he does is wrong because in her heart, she disdains him. The way he dances isn't good enough. The way he dresses isn't good enough. The way he interacts with his servants is terrible. His vulgar personality. Hey, can I just warn the ladies here that nothing wounds a man, again, than the disrespect by the people they love the most. Wives, just as you want more than anything in this world is for your husband to love and give attention to you, so too he wants more than anything in this world is your respects. How you want your husband to love you is unique. How your husband needs you to love him is unique. This is why if, if I ever want to impress my wife and keep her happy and, and you know, show her my, my love for her, what I'm not going to do is go out and buy an expensive diamond, which is why I married her in the first place. But I'm not going to do that. Why, for one, uh, poor preachers can't, ain't going to go out and buy no diamonds unless, of course, they're employed by TBN, you know, twisting the Bible nightly. And I'm not, I'm not employed by them, so, so she ain't getting, even if she wanted one, it ain't happening. But the reason is because that is not how she needs me to express love to her. So, too, what I don't want for my wife is to come home, have a fancy home-cooked meal, because I enjoy cooking. Right, for my birthday, right? She was like, all right, honey, we'll go out to eat anywhere you want. I thought, I don't want to go out to eat. We did that two days ago for your birthday. 
right? And, and now, now I've got to save money to pay that credit card bill back, right? No, what I don't want is, is I, want, I want to cook what I want to eat, and y'all can either starve or eat it with me. Either way, I want to eat what I want to eat, and I'm going to cook it because I enjoy cooking. So we did, and it had meat in it. It wasn't spaghetti with meatballs, but that would probably be next year, okay? Or maybe even Father's Day. That is a great idea now that I said it out loud. However, each man needs to be respected. And I'm confident that if you were asked David, he would say, look, I need McCall to respect me, but this way is not the way to respect me. Thirdly, I want to highlight quickly her, her pride. I think this is really the, the root issue, isn't it? She's angry at David because his actions embarrass her. And, bec- and if she's embarrassed, then David must be an embarrassment. Throughout the text, McCall is called daughter of Saul in order to direct us to her perspective. She sees things after all in a princess's world. She's grown up a princess. What matters to her is decorum, order, ritual, dignity, and outward appearances matter to her. David, on the other way, uh, on the other hand, is, is he's a redneck. He grew up in the, in the fields. He took a four-wheeler to work every morning to watch sheep. Right? This is his life. He don't care about decorum. He doesn't care about dignity. He's a giant slain shepherd boy. And that's the way he's going to rule and lead, lead Israel. After all, that's very demonstrating how he brings the t- tabernacle of God back. But I think what really is happening here is that David will never replace daddy. David will never be as good as her daddy. Her daddy was a dignified king. He, 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 was, he was tall, handsome. He had everything he would ever want in a king. David's not that. He's not that at all. He will never be good enough to sit on her daddy's throne. See, scholars see David McCall as representing two different regimes. In fact, you'll notice the language here of verse 20. Notice it says, but McCall, the daughter of Saul. You see that? It's, what you have here then is Pitt. Two administrations, David's administration and Saul's administration. And, and in her eyes, David will never measure up. Pride blinds us to the perspective of others. It blinds us to our own faults. It's amazing. She sees everything wrong with David, but she can't see anything wrong with the person in the mirror. Doesn't this sound familiar? Aren't you glad it's not like that anymore? Proverbs has a lot to say about pride. Proverbs 11, 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. With the humble is wisdom. Boy, it's like that first part. He had this passage in mind. And Solomon writes, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Jesus says the same thing. Those who think they're first will be last. Those who are last will be made first. When you don't address the root, you are left with the fruit, and it will only get worse. We must quickly, and, and we must do quickly, look at the wound. There's so much here. Look, first of all, verses 20, 21 to 23, how, that David defends himself. Notice how David defends himself there in verse 21. David said to McCall, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father, above all his household, to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate for the Lord. A couple of ways to read this, and I actually think, I think there's a little bit of truth in all of them. One, David defends himself. He says, I wasn't dancing for you, I was dancing for Jesus. So why do I care about your opinion? All right? Clearly, David isn't finding his identity of what people say about him online. He says, I was doing it in worship, I wasn't doing it. As to keep you happy and, and, and to do what it is that you, you, you want me to do. Um, 
But you notice he, he here, he, he is going to defend himself. He, he's wounded by his wife. They're still on the front porch, wounded by his wife. And he's going to respond in a way that, that he's either going to fight or flight, right? Now, his response here isn't to excuse David. What David does here is what we all do. And notice what he does is he is quick to remind McCall that God chose him and not Saul. You think that's a bit wounding for McCall? Can you guess why he says this? Because he's wounded. He's wounded. This is what we do. When hurt, we hurt other people. When wounded, we wound others. Think about it. David went out of his way to honor Saul in front of the people. Went out of his way. Yet when the opportunity comes, when cornered by his wife, he is quick to remind his wife about her dead father, how he was disgraced by the Philistines. It's amazing, isn't it? How easy it is for us when wounded and for men disrespected, how we turn and think, well, if I return the favor, then we will have peace. And then we wonder why we don't have peace. But then you'll notice how he he mixes right theology with dangerous self-perception. You hear me, Christian? His theology is right. God has chosen David to be king. That is, yeah, that's good theology. He's been reading his Bible. He uses it as as a sword. Well, again, we've got to move on. More to say there. David expresses his hurt. Notice verse 22. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. I will be abased in your eyes. With my female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held. Notice he's expressing here his deeper. He says, to you I will never measure up. To everyone else, to the lowest of the low, I I do. But but for some reason, for some reason, I will never measure up to you. And that wounds me more than anything else. And he responds by saying, look, look, I just just don't know what to do. And so what does he do? He he doubled down. He says, if I embarrass you today, it's only going to get worse from here, honey. He's not looking for reconciliation. All he wants is to be proven right. Doesn't this sound familiar? Men or women. This is how we treat each other all the time. And notice he, he says this is a breaking point. I will be abased in your eyes. You see that wound? One of the things I find fascinating about this interchange is that all of us express our brokenness. We all express our wounds in, in our own way. Some will externalize their brokenness, Right? These are people who beat their chests. They, they scream and shout. They, 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 they throw over anything that's on the kitchen table. They'll key someone's car out of malice. They, they, they post things online. They won't mention their name, of course, but someone who says they love me, they just don't know what love really looks like. I won't tell you who it is that everyone else knows who I'm talking about because they heard the shouting next door. We, 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 we externalize our wounds and they want everyone else to know that they're angry and why they're angry. They're usually the loudest people at business meeting at church. They're usually the people who call the preacher three o'clock in the morning because they can't sleep because they're so angry. They're the people who, who, want, who raise their voice and want everyone to know that their world should stop because they're mad. Scream, shout, hit the wall, cuss up a storm, become defensive, and assume everything is about them. They externalize their wounds. Others internalize their wounds. They grow more quiet. 
It feeds their anxiety. They overanalyze everything. They sink into a deep depression. And they want everyone to think everything is okay. When really inside they are being torn apart. Both expressions are unbiblical and unhealthy. You tell me which one is David. I think it's clear which one's Michal, right? You tell me which one's David. Look at verse 23. And Michal, the daughter of Saul. There it is again, right? Because, because the, 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 the writer wants us to see there's two administrations here. And this marriage was supposed to bring peace. It's brought conflict. Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. And there's two ways to read this. Either one could be right. One way is to see this as divine judgment. And there's precedent in that in the Bible. But usually when it's divine judgment, the text will say, and God closed her womb. It doesn't say that here. I think there's another way to read this. And I actually lean in this direction. I could be wrong, and those who disagree with me have no doubt you'll let me know. I think her husband chooses to ignore her. Because this conflict is being not, not, not gone about the right way, and they're being torn apart and are dealing with the root causes. What happens is the same thing happened in the Garden of Eden where there is sin that isn't addressed with the gospel. There is separation. Sin always separates and never unites. And so David says it's not worth it. He stays in the other end of the palace. He won't have anything to do with her. You tell me, by this text, does David externalize his anger and brokenness and frustration? Or does he internalize it? I think he internalizes it here. You see, when intimacy becomes rare or non-existent in the marriage, the marriage is on brink of collapse. And we'll say it's about all these other things. The, the, the warning sign is when there is an intimacy, because in the Bible, intimacy is unity. Physical, spiritual, emotional, mental. When that isn't there, there's no unity. But they're going to ignore it because they won't deal with the root causes. It's amazing, isn't it? Here we have David. Who is David? He is literally a giant slayer. Yet he's so easily wounded by his bride. Ladies, what does that tell you about your husbands? Well, the point of this passage is not to highlight the errors of women, wives, and mothers. But to show us how important the home is. The home has become David's kryptonite. His domestic life shatters everything he builds in his professional life. I got a few pictures of our son, really both kids, but our son in particular. He, anytime we had to you know, change a tire in the car or do something like that manual, which didn't happen much because, well, you've met me. My son would bring his own toolbox, just a little toddler. And you've seen these tools, right? You know, thick hammers that, that aren't heavy enough to do anything accomplished. Uh, a flathead screwdriver that won't fit any actual screw. He's got his little toolbox. He'll come, okay, Daddy, l- l- let me help you. And he, he'd swing that hammer, and he'd, 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 he'd turn that screwdriver, and he'd, he'd, he'd work that wrench, all this sort of stuff, just like Handy Manny did. It's cute. It's a waste of time. Because he lacks proper tools. So, too, when it comes to conflict, 
We need to know the source, which is sin, unrepentant sin, and we need the tools to resolve it. If sin is the problem, the Savior is the solution. Every act of conflict is a spiritual crisis. Sin corrodes the soul. It fuels our corrupt heart and it turns us against people we claim to love. Self-esteem won't fix it. It's the wrong tool. Ego won't fix it. It's the wrong tool. Self-help remedies won't fix it. It's the wrong tool. The only thing that will is Christ. Christ who comes into a broken world is wounded by our sin, wounded by injustice, and he stands and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So in Christ, we see that he directs us to consider our hearts before the errors of others. He, he, in the gospel, reminds us that grace is greater than all our sin and their sin. Christ moves us to reconcile through forgiveness and gospel love. Christ leads us to fruits of repentance, and he calls us to trust with patience the work of the Spirit. Had David done any of these things, had McCall done any of these things, this marriage could be saved because Christ is one who raises people from the dead, including marriages. But if you won't address the sin, you'll never come to the Savior. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, man, my marriage is really, really struggling. That's the solution you need to hear today. Sin's the problem. Savior is the solution. Maybe you're here and you're like, my problem isn't a relationship. My problem isn't marriage. My problem is more personal. The decisions I make, the places I go, the, 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 the relationships I build, whatever it might be. I'm going to tell you, it's the same story. Sin is the problem. Christ is the Savior. Come today, whoever you may be, whatever your story is, whatever burdens you've carried in here, see it as sin, lay it at the feet of the cross, walk away free because you've encountered a Savior who's in the world today. Let's pray.